Welcome, everybody. I am Rachel Levy-Lesser. And I am Stephanie Goldstein, and this is Life's Accessories, a podcast about accessories, clothing, fashion, and the stories behind them. We are two friends who love to accessorize and who remember what we wore on pretty much every meaningful occasion, and that is what we love to talk about. You can follow us on Instagram at Life's Accessories Podcast and also on Facebook. You can also email us at lifesaccessoriespodcast at gmail.com with comments, questions, or accessory suggestions. And if you like what you're listening to, we would love it for you to share this podcast with a friend and rate and review us wherever you get your podcast. Also, do not forget to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Hello, listeners and friends of Life's Accessories. Today, we are very much looking forward to speaking with Darcy Goring. We definitely are. Darcy's awesome. She has 25 years of professional writing and editing experience. And when I read that, I was like, 25 years? Then I realized. (laughs) And then you look in the mirror, right? (laughs) We've all been out there doing the thing for more than 25 years. We sure I know. Time flies when you're having fun. Totally does. Darcy is the head of Zibby Classes and the host of the Zibby Media online writing community. Shout out to Zibby and all things Zibby Media. Remember when we had Zibby on? That was like a year ago. I do. I know. She continues to grow and grow. Definitely. She talked about her grandmother's necklace, which I love. Yes. Um, For six years, Darcy was the managing editor of a lifestyle magazine and has held almost every position in the editorial field. She's a writing instructor who specializes in personal narrative and memoir. In her (laughs) workshops, Darcy helps writers find their unique voices to craft meaningful personal stories. I feel like I need to talk to her. I feel like I'm in a slump with some essays. Get to speak with her in in a moment, which is exciting. I mean, isn't that great? It's all working out. It's all working out. I love it. It's all working out. Darcy's work has appeared in Newsweek, HuffPost, Insider, Scary Mommy, among others. She was a contributing writer for the anthology Corona City, Voices from an Epicenter, where she shared her experience of being diagnosed with breast cancer in the first few weeks of the pandemic. Wow. Ugh and yikes. That is a lot. I've read about her experience a little bit. She wrote about it in Newsweek. People forget now. I think sometimes I forget, but I think this was like in April, 2020. The last place you wanted to be was a hospital, right? And the very last place. Yes, absolutely. And I remember distinctly, that was the time when my mom was going through her chemo treatments. We went from being there with her every single time to she had to walk in by herself. And it was just awful. So I can only imagine what Darcy went through. And we'll talk to her about that. But She leads writing workshops and has served as the keynote speaker for conferences all over the United States. So this will be a really interesting conversation. Definitely. We're psyched to talk to her and I can't wait to find out what her accessory is going to be. Hi, Darcy. Welcome to Life's Accessories. We're so happy to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. We're looking forward to this conversation and I have the honor of asking you what accessory you plan to share with us today. So I took some time to think about this and thank you for being I thoughtful. Brought it up, I actually brought it up with my daughter and we were talking about what's my style accessory that I always have. And there was one clear choice, which was Birkenstocks. My Birkenstocks, I would say have been in my life for many years. I think I started wearing them in high school. And let me think about this. 1989, maybe. Yeah. I think 
maybe they took a little break from like 30 to 40, but then they came back. And now I think the thongs, like in high school, maybe I wear the Arizona style with the two strips. Then they came back. And I really do feel like somehow when I put them back on at 40 or 50 or whatever, it was like, oh, these are me. They're my shoe. I'm and home. It feels very natural. They've always been around and have come in and out of my life. I love them. Are these the same Burks that you've been wearing since 1989? You still have these actual same shoes. Oh, I remember my okay. first pair were, I think they're the, called the Arizonas that have the two strips across. And yes. they were forest green. Nice. And I wore them barefoot and with rag wool socks. And I thought I looked amazing. (laughs) You did. I bet. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So they're not the same. I feel like the thongs to me feel a little bit like a step up in style, if that's possible with Birkenstocks and these ones, especially it makes it feel a little bit more elevated. (laughs) Burks have definitely made a comeback. I have this theory. I think I've spoken to Stephanie about this offline that I could seriously go all spring, summer in Burks and then transform to all fuzzy boots, Uggs all winter and just be so comfortable. Yeah. I think that's pretty much what I'm aiming for in my life. Once in a while, I put on heels or something and I can barely walk the next day. But other than that, I'm aiming for Burks pretty much as soon as the weather turns warm, going into the fall and then switching over to some kind of boot that is typically in the UGG family or something comfortable. So I have a confession to make. Didn't get my first pair of Birkenstocks until my mid to late 40s. For me, I can't wear these. No, there's absolutely no way. And I remember when in my 30s, I broke my toe and I couldn't wear any shoe and so I went to a place and I, I picked up a pair of Birkenstocks because I could just slide my foot in, no problem, brought them home. And I was like, these have to go back. I will go with just a sock. I can't wear them. And I ended up, which ones? I got the, they're like, they're a mule style. What style is that? Bost, Bostonian? Maybe. Oh, you mean the, like the, the toes are covered up? Yes. Yes. A clog kind of one. Yeah. Yeah. And I have slippers. And at the Arizona's now with the fur. I think I started wearing them again. And then a couple of years ago, my daughter asked for them for Christmas, who's 20. And I was like, oh, all right. (laughs) No, what I think what made them in again was the metallic works. That's what I'm going to say. The silver, the gold. And now my daughter has them in white. I didn't even realize this until we started talking. I'm wearing Burke fuzzy boots today because it's cold and rainy. So They're definitely back. And I know what you mean in the 80s and the 90s. I wore them in high school with the rag wool socks because that was what was going on. (laughs) That it was this sort of like crunchy granola thing. But now, I mean, I see people wearing them in the city, gold, silver with black pants and a cute top. So I don't know what's happening, really. I know. I I don't know either. Because really, I I was in that whole crunchy granola thing in high school. And fast forward 25 years, 30 years, whatever it's been. Yikes. And I feel like I see them everywhere and all different kinds of outfits. So I'm going to pivot for a little bit. And we're not just going to talk about toes and sandals (laughs) this entire time. We read in your bio that you are a writer and you are a writing instructor, which I think is really fascinating. So first, can you tell us 
how you got into being a writer professionally? Is it something you always knew you wanted to do? I think so. I think I was always in love with the idea of storytelling. I loved to read growing up. I was the girl who maybe was out <laughs> in my Birkenstocks and doing all kinds of things as a teenager. But I also had a stack of Jane Austen novels next to my bed that had writing in the side lines and underlined and highlighted. I think the first book that really held my attention and got me thinking in a different way, ironically, was A Tale of Two Cities. I just, something mm. about it registered with me in eighth grade. And I just was completely in love with the idea of storytelling. I studied drama for most of my middle school, high school in New York City at HB Studios in the village. And I loved the idea of acting. And I think in a way, using that part of your brain, that creativity, accessing that. It's not that different, especially now because I actually have friends who are actors. And really, when you talk to them about getting into the characters and the story, going into both of those, I, the writing and the acting, you have to access the same things. You've got to feel the characters. You've got to get to know them. It was always appealing to me. Mm -hmm. And then when I graduated from college, I got an internship at New Jersey Monthly, actually, because I lived in New Jersey. That was the beginning of my writing career. And it, it led to me at the time I was doing research and fact checking and stuff like that. And then they let me write some articles and I knew that was what I wanted to do. And so for 25 years now, I've been a writer and um, have worked at all different magazines, all different jobs. Speaking of writing, you wrote in Newsweek at the beginning of the pandemic, something very personal, if we can go there so beautifully and openly about your diagnosis with breast cancer. And if you don't mind, I'd love to just read a, a quote from that piece. You wrote, throughout my treatment, I went to every doctor appointment alone. I received every test result alone. I woke up from surgery alone and I recovered without the distraction of extended family or friends a distraction I would have welcomed wholeheartedly. Even though my prognosis was good, COVID had altered every aspect of the experience to a point that even now, more than two years later, the memories of it still feel isolating. Did it all really happen if no one else was there for any of it but me? Did I have a right to feel what I did if no one else could reinforce what I went through? In our introduction, I did share with Rach that my mom was going through chemotherapy during before and during yeah. COVID. And it was astonishing to go from being there all the time to what you articulated, going into the building by yourself, doing everything by yourself. Can you bring us back to what that experience was like and why you decided to write about it? I found the lump in my breast a, a couple weeks into the first lockdown and I had never had any history of breast cancer. There was no history in my family. I never had anything come up on any kind of mammogram or anything. And I just happened to be sitting on the couch one night and I had put on a sports bra that day with the intention of doing some exercise. And I think I never got to it. Right. I stuck we'll my that. finger under the sports bra on the side to adjust it. And I just froze. I knew as soon as my thumb hit this one spot, that something wasn't supposed to be there and it was there. Like most people, I had been in this anxiety-filled state for two or three weeks. And I thought, oh, I'm being silly. There can't be anything there. How could this, and this would never happen right now. How could this happen? 
And it wasn't until I went to bed that night that I went upstairs and really was like, okay, just touch it one more time. It can't be what I think it is. And I did. And I just started to cry because I knew that it was what I thought it was. And of course, when my husband came to bed, I was like, can you feel this? And he felt it. And there was no like, oh, it's nothing. He was like, okay. I emailed my doctor panicked. What am I going to do? I think I felt something. And she was kind enough to take me in her office, just the two of us the next day. At that point in time with the way the world was, and especially the area that I live in, which is near New York City. And it was really at that time considered the epicenter of what was happening what it was like to go there and be so scared. Every doorknob you touched, every... It wasn't even a time that you had access to masks. They were telling you to wear them, but there were no masks. But there weren't any. Also, I had this sort of flimsy homemade mask on. And I really thought that I was going to go to that appointment and she was going to say, oh, it's nothing. But as soon as she felt it, she was like, we need to get you a biopsy right away. And then I went to the surgeon the next day who... Again, going to the hospital when the hallways are a ghost town, coffee kiosks are like shuttered and there's chairs on top of tables. I remember the first times going to the hospital that the the wing that I had to go to for the surgeon didn't even have the fluorescent lights on. It was just the backup lighting. So the hallways would be like, can you be walking down them by yourself? And um, there was a lot of feeling that I knew there were other people going through these kind of things. And I think initially when I wrote the first piece I ever wrote was for Scary Mommy. And it was really about the idea of having this all happen and having to be so alone in it, just having no access to any of the normal things. And This combination of being alone and also feeling like there was no time to be alone at home because both of my kids were in high school at the time and they were home all day. So there was no way for me to protect them from knowing about what was going on. Right. And at that time, you felt like they were already going through so much. There was a lot there. So I think part of it was wanting to reach out to others who were going through something similar. And part of it was about wanting people to understand that no matter if you look at yourself now as the healthy one and the one that doesn't have to worry about COVID and all that stuff, it could change in a day. I went from being the person who bought the groceries for my mom to the person who needed her to get groceries for me in a a minute. It was also this feeling of misunderstood that people didn't understand what it was like and hoping that maybe if I wrote about it, not only could I help some people who maybe felt alone in this, but also help others hopefully understand how vulnerable you felt at that time. So that's really where it all began. As I'm listening to this, first of all, I know your story because I know you and because I read about it. I think the first time I read about it was in Newsweek. I know you had written for Scary Mommy too. But just listening to you describe it off the cuff, it makes me realize what a great storyteller you are. I'm so sorry that you had to go through this at this crazy time because now we're in the end of 2023, almost 2024. It's hard to even remember the details of April 2020. We were all in our own little world. You talk about the flimsy mask. I remember wearing like a cloth napkin to CVS to get medicine (laughs) for my dad. Just to get back into the writing here, 
You talked a little bit about what made you decide to write this. This is a very personal thing to write about. You really opened up. Do you think this has maybe made you a little bit more of a prolific writer? And how did it feel after you got it out there to open up in such a personal way? What was the response like and what happened from there? I just want to say the next piece that I had come out, really, if you looked at my pieces in chronological order, you can see that they really follow you know, what I was going through at the time. Mm-hmm. So the next piece I had out was for Zibby Media and what became now Zibby Mag, but was Moms Don't Have Time to Write. And I wrote about how there are so many aspects to having cancer and anybody who's been through it understands you're going to have moments where you're just like so grateful for life and moments where you're struggling to emotionally move forward after it. And I really wanted to, it just became, I think every time I had a piece come out, I got so much feedback on it and so many letters and emails just that people really identified with what I was writing about cancer for me has been a really easy thing to write about mm-hmm. because I know that the each piece I've had, I've gotten so much, so many emails and messages that it, it maybe it was there for someone at the right time, or maybe somebody had a family member who was going through it. I've written other pieces about other topics that have been probably more challenging, but I almost always know that the cancer is going to help people. And at the same time, it was so cathartic for me. So that really led me to understanding what this idea of writing the goal of getting published, but also when you go through hard times, when you're struggling, what writing can do for you if it's your craft. And so that's really where I began to see I wanted to give that to other people. And my classes have really changed into classes that are really built around that idea of I have students who are interested in writing about usually hard topics. <laughs> that tends to be where we want to reflect and think about how did this affect me? What did this all mean? What does it matter? So I always talk about there being two different steps to that process. One of the first part of it being, what's this going to do for you? Because it is going to change you and it is going to change your relationship with the story. And the second part might be, do I want to publish this? And how am I going to have to change the story in order to do that? I think for a couple of years, I looked at the breast cancer during COVID as such a hard thing, but I really am at a place now where I think it's a gift. I think this has changed my life. It has completely changed my writing trajectory and where I'm going with it and how much more gratifying it is to be teaching what I'm teaching. I've seen people in my classes like this has changed their life. I think I was able to go there because I knew I had the skills. I spent 20 years as a writer, let's say, but to be able to know that this helped me heal and helped me move forward. Obviously I had counseling and therapy in addition to this, but this was a huge part of the process. And so for me to be able to help other people see how they can go through something really challenging and use writing to help them process it and get through it, I I think that's really become what I want to do and what's making me really feel fulfilled. So I don't even look at the breast cancer as, I don't know, I think, oh my gosh, look what it's brought to my life. Like, how lucky am I? And hopefully this is going to help somebody else and give them something in their life that it makes sense of the senseless sometimes being able to write about something. 
I'm amazed by your gratitude and I just so respect and admire how you've approached this. And as you're teaching students about opening up about difficult things that they've experienced, how do you guide them to really open up in their writing? Are there exercises that you teach to get your students to write openly? I'm going to say, first of all, that a lot of times it's a process. It takes people a little bit of time. And I've had people come to my classes and you know that it's going to take them a little while to get to the heart of what's going on here. So that's one thing, because whenever you go through a hard time, I think there is this whole idea. There are different steps in that. There's different parts of it. And every story has different moments. Sometimes it's a matter of also not looking at the huge picture, but looking at, okay, what are you feeling today? What are you feeling at this moment? Because you can say, oh, I had breast cancer during COVID, but I could tell you there's about 200 beats in that story and there's all different places to explore. Even if you look at the article you read before the Newsweek piece, that piece was about the grief of getting over the grief. So that's one aspect of that. I also think it's about thinking about that. How do you feel today? What part of this story are you feeling? What's it bringing up for you today? And that's an important piece to it. I think also for me, creating spaces where people feel safe. I can see so many times in my classes that when people start sharing, my classes are really built around that is the sharing and us having conversation about what people have read. And most of the students in my classes have been there for a year or two. So they all know each other's stories. And they're also watching each other go through this process of healing. So when somebody's reading something and they can see, oh my gosh, three months ago, you were writing about this. Look how far you've come. It's also like a good reminder of we grow. I always say, if you don't think people grow, try writing because you will see growth. You will look back at things you wrote six months ago and say, oh, wow, I have changed. I have grown. Um, I have a lot of students who don't plan on publishing pieces. Their main goal is to create the pieces so that they can share them in our class. Hmm. And that's pretty special to feel that. Um, I do a lesson every class and hopefully the lesson is inspiring. I have writing prompts that I give every week, but really I do think that the being able to build that community within the class and giving them a safe space they get inspired by hearing others tell their stories. And I think all those things contribute to someone being able to be brave enough to put the feelings on the page. And I think the other thing is, it's not like I'm just teaching something. I know this, I've been through it. And I've had those moments where I'm like, do I really want to write this thing? Do I really want to admit this thing? I, I think it's good for me to be able to point to places in my own writing that's appeared in publications that lots of people have seen and say, it was really hard for me to write that. Or I took me a while to get to that point that I could write about the last piece that I just had for Newsweek this fall was about the mental health challenges that I had after the COVID cancer experience. And that piece was hard for me to write. Being able to always point to those things to my students too, I think is helpful. 
I feel like I want to take one of your classes. Right I now. know me too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had the honor of sharing one of my up? essays in one of your Zibi classes. It was a while ago for was... the writing community. <laughs> Do you ever come across a situation in class? Would you ever be in a position to tell a student that maybe you shouldn't write about that, that something's off limits? I will never tell someone that they shouldn't write about something, but I want them to understand that sometimes just because something isn't getting published doesn't mean it isn't worth writing about. In addition to the breast cancer stuff, I've also had a couple of pieces out on family estrangement. I had mm -hmm. a challenging relationship with my father and unfortunately he died when I was 30. So we never really got to resolve those issues, but those articles I wanted to write because I wanted other people who had been in those positions to have something to go to. And by the way, the percentages on family estrangement right now are higher than they've ever been. So it felt like an important topic. But I also do know that those pieces, unlike the cancer pieces, I have gotten some pretty horrible messages about because people feel very strongly about those issues. I'm saying this because I do understand and I want people to be emotionally prepared for that. I am emotionally prepared for it. And I understand when I read the pieces that maybe it's the person that's on the other side of that. I do want students to understand there are things that you have to be emotionally prepared for, especially these days with Twitter and social media and all the things that can get taken out of context. I also don't want people to think that it's not worth writing about something that has stayed with you. What I see the most in my classes is people sharing that story. Maybe it happened when you were 17 years old. Now you're 50. And what will always happen, I don't think a class goes by that I don't have somebody who gets emotional while they're reading their story aloud. Because even when you write it, you might not feel emotional. But when you're in a room full of you know, 10 people and you're telling them this thing that happened to you, they'll get emotional and they'll say, I can't believe I'm crying. I don't know what's wrong with me. This happened 20 years ago. And my take on that is always like, oh, it happens all the time. But also think about the fact that you have been holding that in your body for that long. You know, there is something in the whole process of this. It's not just about whether or not you're going to publish. It's also about, I want to tell this story. And sometimes it's, I don't ever want to tell this story again, but I want to read it in this class and that's it. And then I'm going to put a pin in it. I, I think it's just emotionally being prepared and also understanding that sometimes it's going to take people a little time to get to that point where they can write that thing. I see that all the time that people will touch on something and me as the teacher now will say, oh, I think there's something there. And then maybe three classes later, they're going to go to the actual thing that's really the story. And that's okay. We all need that. I have to warm up to things sometimes. I won't ever tell someone that they shouldn't write about something, but I do think if you're going to put it out into the world these days, with certain topics, you do have to be emotionally prepared to deal with criticism and judgment about what you're going to write about because everybody has an opinion. Is it correct to say that your classes are all online? I have no, an okay. in-person class in Maplewood, um, yeah. New Jersey, and that's with the Writer's Circle. And then all my other classes pretty much are with Zippy Media and they are all online, although we've been transitioning a bit to maybe having some in-person in New York City. I think it's pretty amazing to be with people from all over the country and 
have people create these relationships that they're getting pretty each other's personal stories. And again, a lot of the groups that I have been together for a long time and they build pretty strong relationships and there's a trust that gets built. Do you ever wear your Burks? I wear my Burks all the time. Well, that was going to be my follow-up to bring it back. You got to wear the Burks, right? Yes. I I think one of the most important things that I always tell my students is that what we're trying to do is really give a reader a sense of what it was like to be you. We want them to walk in your shoes to understand you. Burks are my shoes. And, And when I tell my story, you can think about it. That you're putting on a pair of Burks. <laughs> I, lo- I love that. So when you're in person classes, are there other Burke wearers? What's the trend? You know what I love the most is as what? I'm thinking about it, I think we have a very wide variety of shoes. And okay. Styles. I love it. That's what I want. I want a group of people that would never maybe hang out. I have one class that has the well, huge range in age and what they've done in their professional lives. And there's nothing more incredible than having that group of people to come together. And maybe they don't go out after class, but when they're in class, they are completely connected and encouraging one another, supporting one another. That's what we want. We want variety. <laughs> Darcy, where can our listeners find you? Where do you want them to go? I think the best place to go is my website, which is darcygoring.com. My name has a weird spelling. It's D-A-R-C-E-Y. And my last name is G-O-H-R-I-N-G.com. And if you go there, there's a page that lists all my classes and all the different places that I'll be and they can find me. Awesome. Well, I'm going to check that out because who knows, I may pop up in one of your online classes at some point. Rach, maybe you and I should do that together. I know. Stephanie has a great idea for a memoir and I just had an essay come out today, but I need to get back to the writing. You're so inspiring to all of us. I've been writing a lot for my own sub stack. Um, My brain is like spinning a a million miles an hour just because thinking about what to write and why to write it. And you're really good at getting people to get their ideas out onto paper. I can attest to that. Everybody go check out Zibby Classes and also the writing community that you run in New Jersey because you do not want to miss out on having the opportunity to have Darcy teach you, lead you, get you thinking. You have a really good way about it. And no wonder people keep coming back to you. And I just... While we're talking about Substack, I do have a free Substack. What I tend to do is take some of, I do a different lesson every single class. And so I tend to take a couple of those lessons and form them into articles that I hope will help people just inspire people or help them. You know, if you want, you could check out my Substack and that will give you a couple, like a taste of what you'll see in some of my classes. That's great. I think Substack is where the cool kids are hanging out right now. Probably a lot of them in their Burks, I think. Oh, yeah, they Definitely. should be. Yeah, I love it. Come I love on, it. Put your Burks on. Totally. Get your Burks on and get writing. That sounds great. Thank you for joining us, Darcy. We love talking Thank to you. you. Thanks, Darcy. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Life's Accessories. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate us, and get in touch. Thanks for tuning in. Bye.